electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Dee, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the red-hot inflation read, what it means for the record rally, the Fed, and most importantly, your money. We debate that with the Investment Committee. We'll ask Wharton School's Jeremy Siegel in just a moment as well, what it means for stocks. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I'm going to show you the markets real quick. Uh, we're reacting to the CPI number, and we're not reacting all that much. I mean, NASDAQ's down a half percent. Everything else, though, not moving all that much. And we are, of course, waiting for that first trade in Rivian. That's where we are going to begin. Phil LeBeau, we getting close? We are close, Scott. And we've seen the indication right now at $115 a share. This will close the largest IPO of the year. And some people might be saying, $115? Wait a second. I thought this was going to be indicating at $72 to $74. Oh, no. The indication was raised last night to $78 a share. They also upsized the number of shares that will be part of this IPO. That's 153 million shares. Their CEO, R.J. Scaringe, virtually ringing the opening bell for the NASDAQ this morning from the company's plant in Normal, Illinois. They are going to raise more than $11 billion with this IPO. A chunk of that, a good chunk of that, will go towards expanding production in the future. Why? Well, they already have a number of slots filled in terms of their production plans at their plant in central Illinois, building out three vehicles. One of them, the primary one, is an electric delivery van that will go to Amazon. 100,000 of them have been ordered by Amazon, and Amazon will take delivery of the first ones this quarter. By the way, I've been told by people that 100,000 order will likely be expanded substantially in the future. And again, the first ones delivered this quarter, that's one of three vehicles along with an electric pickup truck and an electric SUV, SUV built at the plant in central Illinois. Quickly take a look at shares of Ford and Amazon uh, as we wait for the beginning trade, now indicating what, at 116? Um, the Ford and Amazon both have substantial stakes in Rivian. Amazon owns 20% of Rivian. Ford owns 12%. We'll be interesting to see what both of those companies do with their stakes in the future, although I've been told Amazon is going to be expanding and doubling down on its commitment to Rivian. Ford uh, remains to be seen exactly what will happen there, Scott. Yeah, we'll see if it's a take-the-money-and-run situation. I yeah. want you to stay with me, um, Phil. You, you mentioned the valuation, and you know we learned this morning from our very own Josh Brown, who was on stage this morning with Kathy Wood, of ARK Invest at a conference, and Rivian came up. Josh tells us that Kathy told him that the valuation was even too rich for her, that the return uh, on the valuation, and that was when the valuation was deemed to be almost $70 billion. So now you're up around in the neighborhood of, of $100 billion. So that's an interesting nugget to find out how sure. one of the most famous growth investors feels about the valuation uh, at these levels. Um, Pete, 
you got an allocation, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Why do you want a piece of this? And again, I also want you to react to what Kathy Wood says. You know, and, and there's, a, you know, there's some yeah. snark on Twitter this, this morning. If it's too rich for Kathy Wood, what does that say about <laughs> where we are? I don't understand uh, Kathy's uh, thought process on that one, Scott. I mean, she's made investments in things that are just absolutely astronomical, and I think she's an unbelievable investor. I think she's done an incredible job. She's talked about and been involved with Tesla for what seems like multiple years for sure, and she's always been looking at it saying, you know what, we think it's going to this price. We think it's going to this price. Well, Rivian, when you look at this, Scott, I think what really excites me about this is, okay, Ford does have the investment. I think it's interesting that they decided to just do the investment and not use the technology. That's a little bit odd to me, but I still think, obviously, they sure made a great decision back in 2019. Now I'm looking at Amazon as well, and Phil's been talking about this, but a 20% stake, and they're actually one of the folks that absolutely is part of this whole flow of orders and the 100000 for these delivery vans. I think this is an, a, a great backstop, in my opinion, is the fact that Amazon has this investment. They've got their 20%. I don't assume by any stretch that Amazon has any kind of plans to get rid of that. So I think because of that, that's all, always going to be there. And who knows how that's going to play out over the next multiple years. But Rivian's a very exciting company. Yes, it's very highly priced. We, we, you can't even put a PE. We talk about triple you and quadruple. You, scoff, you would uh, scoff uh, at PEs. these things. You, you would scoff at things yes. like this, though, in the yeah. past. And now you're trying to yes. justify, it sounds to me, I'm not justifying the, the valuation at, at $100 billion. Because uh, you, you said you, didn't, you disagree with how the, Kathy Wood is looking at this. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. This is just getting out there for the public to trade, Scott. This isn't something that's been out there for the last six months and everybody's been looking at it and it trades at a no P.E. level. This is something that people will be clamoring for it clearly. Just take a look. It's a $78 print, right? And where are we at? Maybe 115 116 whatever the level is that Phil will tell us. But... That just shows you the excitement level that is in this stock right now. And I think that's something that can persist for a while. Now, once we get into active trading and we're into this stock for a while and we've got options and everything else, you're going to probably find out that I will be shifting around my positions. But for right now, I like the stock position that I'm going to be allocated. Pete, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Phil, we're far from profitability <laughs> for, for Rivian. I mean, Correct. we're talking about an extraordinarily small amount of revenues at yep. this point to justify this astronomical valuation. You're 100% right, and nobody's going to argue with that. Um, and, and look, I'm not going to comment on their valuation. What I will say is that as I've covered the auto industry over the last 20 years, you talk with other executives at other companies, and you bring up companies, and you say, what do you think about these guys? The, the reaction that I get to Rivian is similar to the reaction I got when I brought up Tesla to executives away from the public bravado of, oh, well, Elon Musk doesn't know what he's doing. I'm talking about four or five years ago. Privately, they would say, that's really interesting. I hear the same thing about Rivian, and I have for some time. I've had executives at other automakers say to me, they're the real deal. Now, it doesn't mean that these guys are going to be as profitable or as big as Tesla, but it does mean they have staying power. At least for the foreseeable future, they have staying power. Now, the question becomes, how quickly does the EV market grow? How quickly can they grow it uh, and their business? But they've got a nice order with 100,000 electric delivery vans from Amazon. And, yes, the order book on the pickup truck and the uh, electric SUV of 55,000, yes, that is small relative to other automakers. But it's not like these guys are out there saying, 
hey, uh, we're going to start cranking up production and we're not really sure what we have. Uh, the feeling is they do have a base to grow off of. And they're coming public at the right time, too, in terms of market environment, sure. um, where we currently are. You're in the midst of a momentum-based rally. I can only imagine maybe what the environment would look like, I don't know, a few months ago only, um, that you have time on your side. Jim Labenthal, you want a piece of this action from somebody who is an investor in General Motors, and I know how much you like that stock, but what about Arivian? Yeah, I do want a piece. Thanks, Scott. Listen, I'm not purposely provocative or edgy, but I'm going to tell you, I think Rivian is going to pop today and then it's going to quickly fizzle. And this isn't something about the valuation of Rivian. It's take a look at the overall automotive industry, including cars, light trucks and SUVs. Take a look at it now. The total market cap of all of the companies, the original OEMs, the Teslas, the new entrants like Rivian and Nikola, and compare that combined market cap to where we were two years ago. Now, I don't have the figures right at my fingertips, but I'm going to tell you conservatively, we're three times the total market cap today than we were two years ago. And my question to everyone is, do we honestly think that the market for light trucks, SUVs, and cars has gone up by threefold in two years? I'm going to humbly say, I really don't think so. This isn't a question of electric vehicles versus internal combustion engines. This is a question of wheels and tires on the road. What is the overall demand for it? And I am telling you, I look at Rivian and I see a case of the emperor wearing no clothes. The emperor in this case being the automotive industry at large. Now, within that landscape, I will happily take General Motors at eight times earnings with the autonomous vehicle unit that has, uh, this is Cruise, that has Walmart as an investor, Microsoft as an investor, and oh, by the way, has a competing van in Bright Drop that already has orders from FedEx. In this now huge space with a lot of competitors, I will take General Motors over Rivian any day of the month. Phil, I also mentioned in terms of timing, I mean, this is a couple of days only after the infrastructure bill passes. Sure. When you had all of the, all of the momentum post that vote, and the money flowing into EV-related stocks. I mean, you literally couldn't have timed this any better. Oh, fantastic timing. And I don't know if we have uh, the ability, uh, Scott, and I, I hate to produce from the chair here, but if we can call up, there is a wall that we have created that shows the projected sales of electric vehicles in the United States. This gets to Jim's comment about how much demand is out there. It is accelerating. It was expected originally by most that we would see one million in annual EV sales by 2025. Take a look at the data now. The expectation is that we will hit one million in annual sales by 2023, two million by 2025. So it is accelerating. That does not mean that Rivian will be unable to meet demand that is out there. Jim's got a point. They're going to have to meet uh, expectations in terms of ramping up demand for the R1T and the R1S. Those are the vehicles you and I would drive, Scott. But don't forget about the commercial vehicle uh, industry. There's a lot of money to be made there, and they've got a nice base with the electric delivery van that they're going to be delivering to Amazon, and they're going to use that to leverage sales with other commercial vehicles, electric vehicles. That's the big growth area within electric vehicles over the next couple of years. The real question is, is this going to be Tesla 2.0? And I don't necessarily mean as simply, you know, an automaker. I mean more from the cult following that that stock continues to have. You, you take it over a trillion dollars in market cap. It gives you, gives you an idea of the kind of momentum and love and belief that is behind a Tesla, even in the face of 
production challenges, and so many other issues that have existed and swarmed around Tesla for the last many years. It hasn't mattered one bit to the stock in the bigger picture. Sure, there are peaks and valleys, but look where it is today. Now, Bank of America raises their targets today on a whole host of EV stocks, including Tesla. Price target goes to 1200 there. Uh, that's from $1,000 at Bank of America. The rating remains neutral. Lucid target to 60 from 30. Fisker target to 24 from 18. So you're getting massive bumps across the board. Joe, what about you? Rivian, any interest? Growth, momentum? I don't know. You've got an ETF that likes growth and quality. What about this? Yeah, I, I, I sure do. Well, I, I think, first of all, listen, if you're in Pete's position and you're really staring at a 49% gain here in the next few minutes when this opens, your decision process is a lot easier. Do you reach for it here and buy it? I'm not necessarily sure that you do that. I think looking forward, this company has two challenges to think about, and I think the entire auto industry shares those challenges. First of all, We've got supply chain disruptions, which is dramatically in, in, uh, acting as an impediment towards production. Secondarily, Scott, if you think about it, for the better part of the last 15 years, the auto industry has been blessed with the consumer ability to have private sector borrowing costs at incredibly low levels. I would expect that rates are going to continue to rise. We'll talk about that further. That's going to dampen some of the demand and the ability for consumers to go out and purchase these cars. So I think... The right way to play this, and Pete mentioned this before, is just continue to have exposure towards Ford and Amazon. Because I think Ford and Amazon are the traditional approach to having access to Rivian here. They're obviously breaking out incredibly strong momentum in each of those stocks in the last couple of weeks in anticipation of Rivian. And if Rivian is going to carry forward a lot of the strong pricing that we're seeing here, uh, from the IPO, Ford and Amazon are going to benefit. Yeah, so I'd Ford, stay with Ford and Amazon. Ford. I, Ford could be gone. I mean, Phil, Phil's trying to make that point that we, yeah, Amazon's going to double down. I think those are the exact words that, Phil, you used. But Ford could be gone tomorrow, so to speak, right? They could take the money and drive off Correct. into the sunset and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this was as good as it was. It's awfully difficult to make a long-term bet on Ford because of what we're watching in Rivian, Phil. Uh, I do not believe that Ford is going to hang around for a long time. It doesn't mean that they're going to turn around and flip their shares, you know, in the next day. But I just I don't get a sense that Ford <laughs> would be you? part uh, with Rivian. Well, look, if you're Ford, you're not using them for your electric vehicle platform. Um, I mean, aside from saying, yeah, we think that they're going to stay hot and we're going to stay with that investment. They don't have a seat on the Rivian board of directors. They gave that up. They also had opportunities after the initial investment of a half billion in early 2019, I think there was another round of fundraising that they contributed to, maybe two, but then they stopped. They didn't continue. And I, I think it's pretty clear uh, that it's, they're not down on Rivian. They just, I think they realize we've gotten a great payday out Absolutely. of this. And I wouldn't be surprised if they cash out at some point. Yeah, that, no, that, that's all we're saying. I mean, it wouldn't be a, an indictment in any way of the outlook of what Ford has towards Rivian. It would just simply be like, okay, we went to Vegas, we hit the thing, let's, you know, let's take the money um, and, and run. So the indication right now is at 111. Remember, it was priced at 78. And the indication spread, um, if you will, has been interesting to watch. So it's 111 now, because uh, I was marking this earlier, at 10.20 this morning, it was at 1.10. It got all the way up to 1.25 at about 10 minutes prior to 11. 
So you got over a $100 billion market cap. It's come off of that. Now it's probably sitting around $100 billion or, or, or whatever. But you got 111. Phil said it's, it's coming up. He's staying with us. Jenny Harrington, I go back to the Kathy Wood thing. If it's too rich for Kathy Wood... I mean, I know you're not touching this thing. And also, look, I don't want to read too much into it because I'm not the one who spoke with Kathy. It was on stage at a conference where Josh Brown had the conversation and Rivian did come up. And she said, it's just too rich for me at this valuation. The return from this level uh, does not seem to be great. So I know you're not touching it. But what are your thoughts on the overall story itself? Well, look. The technology is clearly there. It's clearly brilliant. But I've, I've been trying to think of how to analogize it in my head, how to wrap my own arms around it. And I almost wonder if you could make like a Pfizer-Moderna um, analogy here where you have like brilliant scientists, brilliant engineers, people doing brilliant things. But ultimately, you know, Pfizer may win out in this because they have 100 years of knowledge and history on how to manufacture and how to operate and how to get, you know, get products to market. And I think it's also going to be challenging when you're a Rivian, you're going to need to continue to grovel from the capital markets to get funding for future things. When you're a GM or a Ford or a Toyota, you are generating that cash flow on your own. So, you know, my money is is with the big guys. We own Toyota. Um, I think Jim made an absolutely perfect, beautiful um, summary of the whole situation. It's about the total market cap and how many tires are going to be on the ground. And I don't know that these collective market caps can possibly be justified um, given that ultimately they're selling cars, you know, and those are ultimately a commodity. So I would never argue with the technology. It sounds fantastic. But like you said, Scott, if it's too rich for Kathy, it's way too mm-hmm. rich for me. Yeah. Hey, Joe Terranova, I apologize if I <laughs> cut you off uh, earlier. I, I think I heard you want to get back in. Yeah, I, I, sorry. I, I disagree. I think absolutely Ford is going to stay. Um, there's been indications that the Lincoln, and, and Phil could speak this, the Lincoln is going to be uh, built on the Rivian skateboard platform. Uh, Farley, CEO Farley, has talked about this not being a transaction. And I think it would look very poorly upon Ford if this transaction were to be uh, closed out so close to the IPO. Uh, I, what, is, what does that say overall about their belief in where the EV business is going? So. I, I completely disagree uh, with the premise. Yes, it is their right at some point for Ford to ring the register. and But just because they haven't indicated that they're not going to, uh, I, I don't suspect that they'll be doing it anytime soon. I think there's more of a partnership there than we're giving credit to. Look, well, nobody would know this better than Phil. I mean, you know. Farley's not on the show right now. Phil LeBeau is. And he also Scott, didn't say, I, I, he didn't say, Phil, I'm sorry, you, you didn't suggest that they would flip the stock today or tomorrow. Correct. Or the next day or correct. the day after. I mean, whether, no. whether it doesn't mean that it's a and very Jim Farley long-term has deal. Said it's not tra- Jim Farley has said it's not transactional. So, look, I could be wrong. Three years from now, they could be uh, holding arms, uh, you know, arm in arm at the uh, Rivian plant, and Jim Farley could be with R.J. Scaringe, and they could say, hey, these guys are going to be do- uh, doing the next uh, Lincoln EV. Is that possible? Absolutely that's possible. I'm just telling you, based on what I hear from people within the auto industry who are familiar with, with the relationship uh, between Ford and Rivian, I would be surprised if it last a real long time that's that's i'll leave it at that all right we're, i just want to you know keep everybody up to date that we are still waiting for the very first trade of what will be either the or close to the largest ipo of the year 110 dollars is the indicated price right now so we've round tripped 
from where we were a little past 10 a.m. on the East Coast, when it was $110, went up to 125 And as they continue to pair shares off, it's dropped a bit. Do we have the professor? Are he ready now? Is he ready? Let's bring in Jeremy Siegel now uh, of the Wharton School. Uh, professor, I'd love to get your thoughts before we get into the CPI, which I know you're about to jump out of your chair on, uh, about the environment that we find ourselves in right now, where you have a company with extraordinarily low revenues relative to the extraordinarily high valuation that this stock is going to command right off the open today. Oh, we've had that before. We've had that for a while, um, uh, a number of stocks. The only good part is that if you, you know, it's a hundred billion, it's a lot, but if you take the market value of all of those and compare it to, oh, you know, over 30, 40, trillion dollars in the market, it's still a small fraction. We were way more overvalued in 2000 in that bubble, um, which affected, you know, 30, 50 percent of the market uh, than we are now. I mean, you know, basically like old technologies is, is in my uh, opinion, pretty reasonably uh, priced right now. So I I don't see general market overpricing. I'm not going to comment on Rivian or Tesla. Um uh, I know that market values are high. I know there's a lot of excitement about electric cars, so they might be able to get margins that were not available for the old automakers and internal combustions uh, that, that we had two or three years ago. But I, I, I have no particular opinion on, on, the, on the EV uh, uh, industry. So, But you look at this and you say it's not a sign. And by the way, throw Tesla in there with a, a trillion-dollar market cap as well. Yeah, you don't. Tesla- Tesla is, uh, you know, one with with a with it's one that's very very big and and uh, one of the five and six biggest stocks. But if you if you go along, you know, around the horn on many of the others, um, uh, you know, and, and add them up, uh, I mean, I think the S and P, you know, X, the the, the old Fang stocks uh, is selling at about nineteen twenty times forward earnings. In an, in an environment like this, when interest rates are uh, zero or negative after inflation, to me, that does not seem expensive. But going back, uh, you know, this was a troublesome report we got today. And uh, I think, listen, stocks love inflation uh, until the Fed gets serious about it. And they have not been serious about it. We will see if we get an, they're going to get one more inflation report in December uh, for, for November before their December 15th meeting. If it is anywhere like it is today, I, I think the pressure on Powell will be just enormous uh, to, to come down much so, stronger than he has. So I, I got a couple th- I got a couple things for you um, as, as we do talk about Tesla and then the expected first trade of, of Rivian, what we think is going to be imminent. Um, you're saying that two stocks don't frothy make. Right. You, you say that, OK, Maybe some stocks are a little bit frothy, but relative to where interest rates are, you don't look at the overall market and say, "Okay, now we've got the red sirens going off of the massive warning signs, the likes of which we've had in prior eras. Do do I hear you correctly? That's absolutely true. I mean, in in 2000, the S&P 500 uh, tech sector uh, was selling around 60 to 70 times earnings. That's S&P tech sector. Um, 
in an interest rate environment uh, where what the tenure tips was over four percent positive. Have you taken a look that we hit a new all time low on the tenure tips today? Uh, less than minus one point two percent. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, Tina, uh, there is no alternative is 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 uh, is operative in the stock market. X. X the uh, 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 the fame stocks uh, and Tesla nineteen to twenty times earnings uh, is not unreasonable. However, that being said, when the Fed gets serious, and I think they will at this December meeting, we're going to see some tremors if if uh, if that does happen. But in the meantime. I do not think there is general revaluation of the market. But, I mean, you, you know that the market discounts things in, in advance. And as bad as the CPI read uh, on the headline is, the S&P is down a quarter of a percent. The right. Dow's down 58 points. D- right. Does that speak to, okay, you still got a lot of liquidity. You say, Tina, there is no alternative to U.S. Uh, equity assets. And seasonality is on the bull side as well. And all of that, at least for the moment, trumps inflation. It trumps inflation until Powell comes and says, you know what? It isn't temporary. It's more serious than we expected. We're going to have to speed up the taper and we may have to speed up the rise of interest rates. Until he says those words, you know, you know, the market says, uh, you know, what me worry? Uh, I well, mean, with all the money flooding into the market, I mean, they can raise the all these costs going up. They're pushing up the, 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 the prices and uh, getting grumbling, but very little resistance. Margins are still extremely high. It's only when the Fed gets serious that I think this market is, is going to going to take uh, a correction. It's not not indifferent. Farmer Jim, to your thoughts as well. I mean, you're you're the so-called Mr. All in and you continue to say even after the inflation read today, Jim, that you ride the rally. Keep riding the rally. Tom Lee with a note well, uh, basically says keep riding the rally. And, and let me be very clear, the most important force uh, in the markets is the U.S. Federal Reserve. And that is based on decades of my own personal experience. Uh, the professor, I think, is right. I think the Fed is going to have to get serious. But what does that mean? The thing that you have to look out for is when do they raise rates? And we're, we're months away from that, probably at least two quarters. And history says after the Fed starts raising rates, you usually get two years of rally after that. So I'm really not that worried overall. Scott, I do want to put something out there. I'm very much all in. I am riding this horse to the finish line. The finish line is through this year end. But I think when you get to late January that you're going to find some volatility, much like you did in early 2018 after a great 2017. Because what happens when you are up 25 percent as you are this year in the S&P 500, nobody wants to sell. And anybody who's been bearish in the portfolio management space has to chase this rally that will propel us into january but then you can look for me to start to take money off in late january you've heard it here first you know i i just want to introduce one more thought on the rivian thing before we take a break you know mary barra jim the general motors ceo was speaking to andrew ross sorkin at his amazing deal book event and said that what we're witnessing with the Rivian IPO proves that GM is undervalued. So I think everybody, you know, in the traditional auto space, if you want to characterize it as that, 
looks at a valuation like this and says, wow, do we feel undervalued or what? And, and you know where I go with that? Remember four, six weeks ago when Engine One took a board seat at GM? They're no dummies. They see exactly what you're talking about and what I've said as well. If GM's intrinsic value doesn't get unlocked, I would expect Engine One and maybe other activists to say, spin out crews, spin out the electrical, electric vehicle division. Um, so just stay tuned on that. We're still, I, I think we're still months, if not quarters away from any moment of truth on that. But that is something to look forward Pro- to. Professor, if you, if you look at the S&P today at 4672, that, that's where it is as I'm asking you th- this question. In your mind, you know, before you think the party ends, and, and however it may and, and whenever it might, given what the Fed may do in the not-too-distant future, what kind of number on the S&P do you have in your mind that we could, could get to? I've had some of the more bullish strategists come on this program and say, you know, I don't know, early part next year, easy, 5,000, 51. What do you think? You know, one of the oldest sayings in Wall Street is make the trend your friend. Uh, and momentum is, is powerful. Uh, but momentum eventually drives prices too far. So you've got to be careful. Everyone thinks they can ride the wave and get off at the crest. Some very few people are actually able to do that. Uh, I'm still in for the long run. I don't, as I said, I think the long run stock market looks absolutely fine. I don't think the bumps come until the Fed changes direction and says, you know what, we've got to be much more serious. Um, maybe it'll be at the December meeting. Maybe it'll be a little bit later. Um, and, and then uh, in the meantime, sure, could it be up another 5 or 10%? Uh, of course, but, you know, projecting short run on the market is very, very hazardous. Yeah. Um, Professor, I always like to have you, uh, especially on days like this, uh, where we can talk multiple topics, not just the stock market itself, but some of the anecdotal uh, issues that uh, really make us think. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. That's Jeremy Siegel okay. at the Working you, School. Um, guys, can we throw up the snowflake, a snowflake chart? I'm just thinking about this from IPO until Today And Jenny, you know, as, as I think about Rivian and this unbelievable valuation that it's going to come out uh, at, I remember, you know, Snowflake opened for its first trade, I believe, on this show. And we were talking about, OK, this is a company that from, from the IPO guys until now, not the, not the intraday, please. Thanks. Um, we we're talking about this. What was it like 200 times sales or, or whatever it was? It's just we're sitting there marveling at that IPO at that time. And. You know, investors who bought on that opening day found themselves burned uh, at some point during the early run of its, you know, year as a publicly traded company. You can you can see the big sort of crest there in the come down. Now it's been working its way back. But, Jenny, therein lies kind of the disclaimer for investors, certainly the more novice ones who are watching our program and get caught up in the hype of a. of a Rivian and say, you know, maybe I want a piece of this action. And then you get stuck, as the professor said, wiping out at the top of the wave when it crests. All right. So this is where I have flashbacks to my late 1990 days when I was on the trading desk at (laughs) Goldman and, you know, actually participating in some of those IPOs. And I, you know, I back then thought that they were all going to the moon and I thought everything was hot. And I feel like there's so many flashbacks Sorry, not as many, but there are flashbacks to this time now. And I'm looking at the Rivian opening around 110 off of a $75 pricing. Both of those numbers are extraordinary given 
the smallness of the revenues in the future, given the speculation, given, frankly, the tremendous competition that's ahead. So I think, I think people just need to be really, really cautious. And it's funny, Scott, because, um, that you brought up Snowflake, because I actually thought you were going to reference DoorDash. Um, we were talking about that, too. Now, it's up nicely today, but it was the same kind of math and logic that went into that on the IPO price, um, you know, where it was just, there's a lot of enthusiasm. People, people like these, but we need to be very careful about not letting the emotion totally override the fundamentals and the yep. long-term prospects of these companies to actually generate income. Yeah, it, it, uh, it obviously is an exciting day. Uh, what may end up being the largest IPO of the year, $110, the indicated price, could be uh, momentarily that we do get the first trade. Let's step away, take a quick break. Phil's going to be back with us. Phil, I'm going to come back to you when we do get the trade. I appreciate you being with us. We need to talk Coinbase as well. It's falling after reporting lower than expected revenues. What do you do with that? Well, we're going to talk to an investment committee member who told you to wait till after earnings if you were interested in buying the stock. Bryn Talkington joins us. She's going to tell you if today's the day. We'll be back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Kyle Rittenhouse, the man who fatally shot two protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last August, taking the stand to testify in his own defense today. Rittenhouse claims that he was acting in self-defense and broke down at times. I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski, and there were... There were people right there. That's what I run. <laughs> Full coverage of the Kenosha murder trial tonight on the news. NASA is delaying its initiative to put astronauts back on the moon until 2025 at the earliest. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said that Congress didn't provide enough money to develop a landing system or capsule for its moon program. And Prince Harry sharply attacking social media companies for failing to challenge 
hate speech online. He reveals that he warned Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey via email before the January 6th Capitol riots that the media site was being used to stage political unrest. Twitter has declined to comment on the prince's remarks. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you very much. Rahel Solomon, Czech Rivian, of course, as we wait for the opening trade. The indication has been around 110, now 106. Uh, so that's the lowest indicated price that we've seen in, in at least a couple of hours. Uh, of course, price at 78, so it's much, much above that. We're going to get you right there uh, again with Phil LeBeau is going to join us the minute we do have the first price there again. Pete Najarian on our program today got an allocation of it. We'll talk to him again about that, too. In the meantime, let's talk Coinbase because those shares are lower today off the worst levels, though. The crypto trading platform reported a revenue miss, a decline in trading volume from the second quarter. Let's bring in Bryn Talkington, uh, who was with us the other day. She bought it. Hi, Bryn. That's good to see you. You bought it back in April. You bought more. You urged our viewers to wait until after earnings if they were interested in this stock. Is today the day to buy it if you like it? Well, first of all, I think it's important on the show as, as traders that we inject some of our, our guidelines on trading. And so I urged everyone last week, if you didn't have a position in it, to wait until earnings, because I don't ever buy a new position right before earnings, because just look what happened. I mean, last night, the stock was trading down at, what, 311. And I think what's been pretty interesting is I bought it last week at 340. And I think I just saw the last print at 341. So I would be a buyer here if I didn't own it. And I think that you have to understand these are still the early days of cryptocurrency. And for the viewers that don't know, you know, Brian Armstrong, which I've talked about before, I'm a really big fan. He was one of the first engineers to build the Airbnb platform. And he left in, tw in 2012 Airbnb to start what today is Coinbase. So outside of the Winklevoss brothers, I feel like Brian Armstrong has been in Bitcoin, in the crypto markets since day one. And I think that this company will continue to innovate. Some quick financials. You know, the market didn't like that they missed revenues. They came in net revenues of 1.2 billion. And I think this like myopic obsession over quarterly earnings um, is a good example here. When you take a step back and look year over year, their revenues are up threefold year over year. And as you, you all are talking about Rivian with no revenues, not much less income, their net income, which I think came in around 400 million this quarter, is up fivefold year over year. So I think the best days are ahead of it. It's a very volatile stock. I often sell calls against the position just because you can capture a lot of premium. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a really good sign that it hit 311 last night and it's, you know, over 340 today. So I think there's a lot of people coming in here and, and going long Brian Armstrong. You can uh, I just want to bring everybody up to date again. The indicated price now uh, down to 105 for Rivian as we do await the first trade. I want to get your reaction, Bryn, if I could, to something Kramer said this morning. I mean, or he said in his investment club, he took these guys out to the woodshed, really. I mean, Coinbase, the arrogance of these guys, says Kramer. Half dozen references, references to what a great quarter it was when it was a huge miss. They must think we all just fell off of a turnip truck. They'll be bailed out by the rise of Ethereum and Bitcoin, but their arrogance is shocking and, frankly, ill-advised. I know you reference the, the, the company and the, the leadership. What do you make of those comments from Jim Kramer? Well, Brian Armstrong has never been shy in the first place. So I think what, what Jim is saying is very, very spot on. As a CEO, you have to have humility. 
But I think, though, if you're just saying what did the analysts expect versus what happened, as I just said, the revenues were up threefold year over year. That's incredible. And so I think Brian's taking a much longer perspective. And so, so I always, I think Jim gives really good advice. I hope that Brian's listening to him in terms of have some humility. And I also think, though, that where, where Brian also, I hope he takes, you know, the SEC conversations off of Twitter and doesn't try to do an Elon Musk and really works with the regulators because Coinbase has the opportunity to really be the on-ramp to the, the highly regulated space that I think is coming in, cryptos, in cryptocurrency. And so we would hope, you know, Brian has some humility. Um, but at the same time, I do think that the analysts are very myopic on these, you know, quarterly revenue numbers um, that I just think people will end up, at the end of the day, will shake them off. And I think you already see that in the price today, how much it's rebounded since last night. Appreciate you coming on, uh, giving more insight for our viewers. That's Bryn Talkington. She'll be back on the show in the days ahead, I'm sure. We'll see you soon. Still waiting on that first trade from Rivian. The indication now, $105. The first trade is imminent. We will be on top of that. Plus, Disney reports after the bell tonight. Got some ownership there, too. We'll get positions ahead of it. We'll be right back. This month, Mondelez announced it's targeting net-zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, aligning its long-term emissions with the Paris Climate Agreement. Mondelez's plan, design 100% of its packaging to be recycle-ready by 2025, invest in electric and hydrogen trucks, and reduce warehouse emissions by converting to renewable energy sources. Shares of Mondelez have underperformed this year, up 6%. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Still waiting for the first trade from Rivian. 106.12 is the indication right now. We're also looking ahead to Disney. After the bell, they report earnings. Jenny and Jim own it. Farmer Jim, what do you think on Disney? 
You know, when you go through an earnings season, there are some reports that are just not that interesting to you. Now, Disney is a long-term hold for me. I think it's a fabulous company, but this particular earnings report has been de-risked, if you will, by Bob Chapek's comments about six weeks ago about uh, streaming subscriber editions being choppy during the quarter. So I expect very little from the quarter itself. I think the price of Disney right now is a price that if you don't own it, this is a good spot at which to own it and buy it. But I want to make a bigger point that while I don't think the earnings are a catalyst, you do have Disney Plus, the analyst day coming up. I believe it's tomorrow, maybe Friday. Uh, Last year, that was a huge catalyst, huge catalyst for the company. That might be a catalyst this year, but I don't think it'll be as much as it was last year. The bottom line is this. If you don't own Disney, you should. This is a good price to own it, but don't expect fireworks from the quarter. It's already been de-risked. Yeah, you know, I'm also just thinking about, you know, it's, it's flat, let's call it, Jenny, over the last three months at a time when a lot of, let's say, reopen or entertainment-related stocks have done well, whether it's Endeavor Group, it's Live Nation, Booking Holdings, Expedia, just to name a few. I tried to just look at a smattering of names in the sphere, and you own Disney as well. What, do you have higher expectations than Jim? No, Jim keeps saying everything so perfectly today that I don't have much left to say afterwards. So I think what we've seen over the last couple months and why it's flat is there's been that like push-pull over reopening. Are tourists going to come back? Are foreign tourists going to be there? Oh, Disney Plus, you know, will subscribers be backing off? And I think that's what's kept the share price um, flat. But for us, we bought this last year. We bought it with the idea that they would return to $10. Sorry, that they would get to $10 of earnings. We're still totally on board with that. That happens from time to time. I should tell you that we're going to hear directly from Disney CEO Bob Chapek. He's going to be on the network uh, later on on Fast Money around 5.30 Eastern time. He'll tell you more context around the quarter and obviously the outlook for the months ahead. Let's take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll give you Rivian's first trade along with Pete's unusual activity. All that coming up next. All right, Pete. Unusual activity. What do you have for us today? Well, first, I'm going to start off with Zynga, Scott. Now, this is a name that actually gave some really great numbers as they reported their earnings recently. Their their user growth is absolutely off the charts, whether it's daily or monthly. Really incredible. And they're still in here buying. As a matter of fact, stock just underneath $8 a share, and they're buying the eight-strike calls that expire on Friday. They bought 39,000 of those calls today, Scott. So very aggressively coming in here looking for this stock to continue to make a move to the upside. It's already made a pretty decent move from the last couple of days. Secondly, I've got another one for you, Procter & Gamble. Now, we have been seeing... More and more uh, activity in names that we normally don't see. Procter & Gamble is one of those names. 11,500 of the November 26, 150 calls being bought today for about 41 cents up to about 60 cents. Last thing I'll point out, we've been averaging 39 million contracts per day in the options world. This past week, we've averaged close to about 49,000, so, or 49 million. Gives you a little perspective. Volumes are absolutely outrageous and continue to be since the start of November. All right. Good stuff, Pete. I appreciate that. All right. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the investment committee uh, making some new moves. I got Jenny with a new buy. I got Jenny with a sell. I got Joe with a couple of new names that he bought as well, a couple of names he dumped. We'll talk about that next. All right, Pete, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? 
Well, first, I'm going to start off with Zynga, Scott. Now, this is a name that actually gave some really great numbers as they reported their earnings recently. Their, their user growth is absolutely off the charts, whether it's daily or monthly, really incredible. And they're still in here buying. As a matter of fact, stock just underneath $8 a share, and they're buying the eight-strike calls that expire on Friday. They bought 39,000 of those calls today, Scott. So very aggressively coming in here looking for this stock to continue to make a move to the upside. It's already made a pretty decent move from the last couple of days. Secondly, I've got another one for you, Procter & Gamble. Now, we have been seeing... More and more uh, activity in names that we normally don't see. Procter & Gamble is one of those names. 11,500 of the November 26, 150 calls being bought today for about 41 cents up to about 60 cents. Last thing I'll point out, we've been averaging 39 million contracts per day in the options world. This past week, we've averaged close to about 49,000, so, or 49 million. Gives you a little perspective. Volumes are absolutely outrageous and continue to be since the start of November. All right. Good stuff, Pete. I appreciate that. All right. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the investment committee uh, making some new moves. I got Jenny with a new buy. I got Jenny with a sell. I got Joe with a couple of new names that he bought as well, a couple of names he dumped. We'll talk about that next. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about some of these moves. Joe, uh, you bought AbV. You used to own it. You bought it back. Why was now the right time to do that? Well, on October 29th, it was added to Joe T below 115. The quarter that was reported recently was a very strong one. Margins, EPS increasing, and the dividend was raised from $1.30 to $1.42. So I took a position personally in AbV. Um, DocuSign was sold out. That's the way I funded AbbVie. I told you I would not allow DocuSign to become a losing trade. I had purchased it about a month ago around the 260 area, so I basically scratched out of that one. What, what went wrong, let's say, in DocuSign, right? Because if you only bought it a month ago, you certainly didn't expect to only hold it for that period of time. Yeah, it, it, Scott, it didn't, it didn't go anywhere, and it's a classic long-duration asset. I mean, Jenny knows exactly about that. The cash flow is not going to be generated in the present, and we're in an environment where rates are rising and we're questioning long-duration assets. So uh, that, that's the type of uh, equity name that's going to come under pressure in this environment. Yeah, EQT you sold as well, and that gas play? Yes, uh, that's domestic natural gas. I've owned that for quite some time. What I wanted to do was get exposure to international gas. You do that through Chenier. That's LNG. I bought that personally. CQP on October 29th was added to Joe T. That is giving you the exposure uh, to an international gas supply shortage. Okay, so you bought AbbVie back, you sold DocuSign, you sold EQT, and you bought Chenier. That's how it all played out, just to make sure there were a lot of of stuff in there. I just want to make sure I'm clear. Yeah? Yes. All right, good stuff. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Final trades. Jenny, why don't you start us off? Kinder Morgan. Collect your 6.5% dividend yield and don't let the gift horse in the mouth. Okay. Appreciate it. Uh, Pete Nigerian. Let me ask you this, Pete. Um, try, try, I'm sorry. Yeah. Try and give our, our viewers a little more clarity. Timing, how long you hold this trade. We're, you know, we're still waiting for Rivian. Can we get the screen back up, please, to see where we're indicated now? We're still waiting for that very first trade. Uh, see where the indication is. 106.25. Sure. I mean, Pete, is this like in your in, in and out? You're, you're going to be out. You could be out before tomorrow's show kind of thing. 
Uh, no, absolutely not. No, I plan on holding this one for a while. Scott, I don't know how long that's going to be, but I will tell you this. As soon as options are available on this stock, I will probably be using options against the stock position that I get. So uh, I'm just waiting for that. I've got a little bit of time. Okay. And uh, give me your final trade then, Pete. Thank you. Sure. I'm going to give you Cody, C-O-T-Y. This is Beauty Supply. This is a great company that just continues to power higher, and I see more buying coming in. Okay. Mr. All-In? Farmer Jim? Yeah, Wynn Resorts, Scott, they reported uh, last night, very good quarter. The way to look at this stock is forget the Macau operations. That's a zero premium call option embedded in the stock. This is all on the strength of the U.S. operations, Las Vegas, Boston, as well as the interactive business, which is still growing and is very young, uh, by Wynn Resorts. Okay, and Joe Terranova. Guess what's at the high for the year? The U.S. dollar. Keep an eye on it. I think it's going to continue to go higher. All right. We're still waiting for that very first trade on what could be the biggest IPO of the year. Rivian, the first trade we think imminent. The exchange picks it up right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.